Hi, everybody. Welcome to our first ever 19 Blocks Talks. Uh, today, we'll be talking about my favorite asset class, hotels and hospitality. Um, my name is Andrew Vecchio. I'm the co-founder and managing partner at 19 Blocks. And I'm here alongside my business partner, and one of my best friends, Michael Lohan. Uh, Mike and I go way back to our college days, which I won't say how long ago that was, but long enough. And uh, I'd love to pass it up to Mike and have him Appreciate it. Um, again, thanks guys for being here. Uh, really excited to have our, our kind of first 19 blocks talks where we really want to just kind of engage, I think, the best in class operators and investors uh, across all the asset classes we work on. That uh, kind of brings us into the, the, the food groups that we really kind of get excited about. We're sitting here about hospitality, um, multifamily and industrial and office are also kind of asset classes that we really worked on our past lives, but as, as you guys know, as we've been talking with you guys, we kind of gravitate quite, uh, quite well with, um, with the hospitality asset class. So that's really a bit on us. Um, we really like to have uh, a bit of a domestic focus with our international reach with a lot of our international capital relationships that are looking to sink money behind operators like yourselves. Um, and yeah, again, just really want to create this, uh, this discussion around kind of how the pandemic has uh, shifted um, your focus, um, how it's kind of uprooted some of what uh, hospitality has seen, but as what we're seeing now in a short while, now that the vaccine is kind of rolled out, you guys are, are, are certainly uh, seemingly back in stride with, with all of your efforts. So I guess we could kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, as Mike said, you know, these segments are really designed uh, in a conscious manner to create meaningful conversations in commercial real estate with what we think are some of the coolest people in commercial real estate. So if you guys get invited onto our show and then to our talks, consider yourself uh, among the best. Um, so I'm really excited today to talk about COVID and how it's impacted you guys, uh, hospitality at large, and love to start with some introductions. Um, on our panel today, we have Ali Hope, who's the Chief Development Officer for Virgin Hotels. We have Marissa Ballin, who's the VP of Development for Citizen M. And we have Abe Bikaya, who's the SVP of SH Hotels and Resorts. Um, so why don't we start with some brief introductions about yourselves and your company and, and kind of your mission, vision, values. And uh, we'll start with Allie, who um, just went on. <laughs> there she is. Hey, how's it going? Um, thanks, guys, for having me. Um, I'm Allie Hope. I'm, as you mentioned, Chief Development Officer for Virgin Hotels. Um, for those that don't know, Virgin Hotels is a lifestyle hotel brand that was launched about 10 years ago um, and part of the Virgin Group. So we're, we're owned by, uh, by Richard Branson, who I'm sure uh, many of you followed as he went off to space on Sunday uh, for the first space tourism. So right now we're focused on building hotels in North America and Europe, maybe one day. And I have been asked uh, if someone could have the rights to build the first hotel in space, which we, we have yet to breach. But um, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, welcome. Um, thank you for, for joining. And we'll pass the buck to Marissa for introduction. Hi guys, um, thanks for inviting me. So great to see all of you. Um, my name is Marissa Ballin. I oversee the West Coast region for Citizen M um, on the acquisitions and development front. Um, Citizen M is a revolutionary boutique hotel brand that um, 
has you know, reinvented the hotel space so that we can deliver kind of an affordable or a luxury hotel uh, experience at an affordable price. So our brand mantra is uh, affordable luxury for the people. Awesome. Thanks. And Abhay? Hey, guys. Andrew Michael, thanks for having me, uh, ladies. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Abhay Bakaya. I work with SH Hotels, uh, Overseas Development for us. Uh, we look to grow both within the U.S., but also overseas. Um, and across our three brands, which are One Hotels, Baccarat, and Treehouse. And, you know, SH founded by Barry Sternlicht, you know, well-known as, as a real pioneer and innovator in the industry. And, uh, you know, it's really his vision that uh, uh, is behind the brands and sort of what we're trying to achieve with them uh, today. And um, fun fact, I'm also an astrophysicist. So Ali, if you ever need uh, any advice with that space hotel, let me know. <laughs> I could have used some help this weekend. <laughs> I appreciate the context, everyone. Um, I know we kind of just lightly broached the subject of differentiators, but if you wouldn't mind, I guess in the same order, Ali, could you kind of tell us what the lifestyle components of, of Virgin's kind of doing separately as kind of a value prop in the, in the market? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Because I, I think when, when we set out to start Virgin Hotels, you know, you, you looked at the landscape of what it meant to be lifestyle. And I, I think a lot of what makes it lifestyle is it stems from the culture of the founder, right? So whether it's heavy nightlife and F&B or, or, you know, whatever the position he may be, um, you know, Richard, as our founder, is entrepreneurship, innovation, technology, um, and, and entertainment, Right. So so we really defined where Virgin Hotels was going to fit into this landscape. Um, it really focused on on just that. So heavily entertainment focused, um, comfortable entertainment, less the nightlife red rope type of night nightclubs and more live music, some DJ sets, kind of music throughout the hotels um, and all the different areas, plus entrepreneurship panels and talks. Think like mini TED Talks on site um, and ways to kind, kind of bring what Richard talks about and kind of pushes globally into the heart of the hotel. So, so that I would say from a lifestyle perspective, like we've really honed in on what's Richard bringing to the table and like, what does that mean through Virgin's, Virgin's ethos? And, and then technology, um, a huge part of, of what we've focused on from day one, um, which is creating, a, using technology and leveraging what's out there to put the customer in control of their journey. So ordering um, you know, room service anywhere in the hotel, for example, um, through the app, check-in, check-out, um, pick your rooms, like everything that now we're seeing, frankly, in 2020 become really, really important. And I think historically it's taken a long time for people to adopt, has always kind of been in the, the foundation of Virgin Hotels as, as much as it has any other Virgin business, really. Um, is, is the technology aspect and offering. Great. Thank you. Um, I guess, Marissa, anybody that's kind of jumped inside the lobby of one of your citizen at Motels can right from that kind of get-go feel the ecosystem and, and the design aspects to it. But aside from those elements, is there really a differentiator that you guys uh, kind of circle going into these projects? Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to kind of build off of something that Ali said about hotels really being... Um, you know, part of the vision of the founder and, and tied to the founder's um, background and experience. So our founder um, also founded a fashion brand called Max. This is kind of in the early 2000s. He ended up selling the brand and he was inspired to create 
a hotel brand specifically for his fashion designers who were traveling around the world. These were frequent travelers who um, really loved style and design. You know, at the same time, he identified that there was this democratization of design and art and technology happening. Um, you know, everyone has a smartphone, for example, everyone has Instagram. Um, you know, so he decided to reinvent the hotel and kind of democratize the luxury hotel experience and bring a luxury hotel experience to everyone. Um, so he, you know, the way that he ended up doing that was, was eliminating all of the things that people don't really use in luxury hotels that frequent travelers don't use. Bellman, for example, uh, turn down service. You know, if you're traveling all the time, that's not something that's important, but what is important, king size bed, really great sheets. Um, you know, great art and design and style and activated public space. Um, and so kind of by giving our guests everything that they need and the things, but taking away things that they don't need, um, we've been able to deliver this luxury experience um, at an affordable price and kind of deliver on our brand promise, which I spoke about before, uh, you know, affordable, affordable luxury for the people. Sure. Yeah, appreciate that. We certainly can, can tell that there's uh there's definitely some fashion in the DNA of your yeah. company. So yeah, that's really interesting to learn. I had no idea. Yeah, I often work on it. This is just in Bowery. It's a nice place to pop by. They're like, are you a hotel guest? I mean, I'm just here. Don't worry about me. <laughs> I am so glad to hear that. I'm so glad. To, I actually, I think we'll talk about this later, but um, I think the use of our public space is the activation. The use of it as a third space is something that's really important. So I'm so glad to hear that you're using that space in that way. Yeah, it's great. Um, and that We'll save we'll save you for last, gentlemen. <laughs> Abe was giving me giving me a hard time for putting them last, but we gotta let Blake go first. So. Um, Abe, would love to, for you to talk about SH and obviously your properties and, and feel free to. Thanks, start. Andrew. Yeah, we'll not hold it against you. Um, but yeah, I think for us, you know, one hotels, you know, is a, is a big focus and, and sort of our core driver for growth at the moment. And um, you know. Barry Sternlich, as, as it's known, founded W Hotels, you know, really created that brand back in the late 90s and, and when it was extremely relevant and sort of ahead of its time. And, you know, with Bon Hotels, it's, it's similar in that, you know, he now, um, you know, created this brand, which really, again, sort of ahead of its time in, in kind of redefining what lifestyle or luxury lifestyle sort of looks like today and what people and travelers are looking for um, in their experience, right? So the focus on sustainability, um, the focus on daylight and day life and activating all the spaces in a different way and um, you know what sort of materials are used and how to engage guests and, and really kind of um, integrate those aspects into, into your stay and, and just into your knowledge as you, as you think about the world as a whole. So we really view the brand and, and the company really as a platform for change. And a lot of that DNA weaves through what we do even at Treehouse and Baccarat and, and just our culture in general. Um, you know, Baccarat being clearly, you know, ultra luxury, uh, the name stemming from the Crystal Company that's been around you know, 250 plus years, um, but also, you know, lifestyle, just in a different in a different format, um, and then Treehouse, our newest brand, uh, which really has its own character and flair, and uh, is really meant to bring out you know your childhood self, um, you know, colorful, playful, nostalgic. Um, again, you know, a sense of community, a sense of place, uh, and something that we're spending a lot of time on and in, in, in defining as our first few stuff to pop up. Awesome. 
Well, thanks for sharing everybody. That's, that's a great intro. Um, to start off kind of the conversation, uh, we want to talk about everybody's favorite subject so far, which is COVID. Um, <laughs> jokes aside, we're all very happy and grateful that, uh, you know, it's kind of waning into the night now. And we've seen a resurgence in, in travel and leisure and um, both, you know, personally and, and for business purposes. So we would love to open the conversation. We'll start with Ali again in terms of COVID and its impact on your hotel's operations um, and what that meant for you and kind of some of the lessons that you're going to take away. And I'm sure a lot of the boutique owners, hotel operators out there, as well as, well as the larger brands, can, you know, glean some insights from you guys. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, this time last year, we were in a very different mindset. Um, but But now, you know, where we sit coming out of this, I, I think that um, some hotels and some some bookings are outpacing 2019 levels. Um, I, I, really what that means for us um, is that this kind of urban lifestyle has proven out, or urban resort, right, has proven out to be a really good thing um, because of the F&B. So like Marissa said, having the, the F&B in their spaces, um, it's given locals place, you know, a staycation or something to do. Um, for at least like our Dallas hotel that, that gave us some demand and revenue during last this time last year. Um, and, and that's continued to play out. I mean, I think what we're seeing is that both the technology by enabling customers to not interact with, you know, employees um, and check in, check out, like I said, order food anywhere, order food to the room and not to sign a bill. You're, you really could go through the, the Virgin Hotel experience without any interaction. Um, that's played out really well. So leaning into that technology in a post-COVID world um, and we're continuing to develop new generations of that platform. Um, we're also, you know, putting more importance probably than you would historically in the hotel industry on these other outlets. So, for example, our Dallas hotel has a rooftop pool that drove a lot of our demand in during the pandemic. Um, and so now coming out of it, it continues to be really popular. Um, we have other types of business coming back, but making sure, you know, many times when you develop these hotels, you're thinking to yourself, OK, the bulk of my flow through comes from my rooms and my rate. And so that's important. But many times you can talk yourself out of all the other stuff right? That's a little harder to underwrite. It's a little harder to value. It's harder to get your lenders and your equity partners convinced that it's going to drive the bottom line. Um, but I, I think now after this past year's experience, like it's, we're seeing that we have a little bit more to stand on to prove that out. Um, it proved it out when there was no other corporate demand and it's continued to go that way when, when, when our customers continue to mix business and pleasure. And um, the Virgin customer has always been that way. So when we when we looked at launching Virgin Hotels, it's always been about kind of this mixing business pleasure, which is why we had these outlets in the first place. But now I feel like as a, as a development person, right, building the brand, pushing for, for growth and doing more deals, I find that that's an easier conversation to have um, because now we have some, some proof of what happens and really isolating that demand. Um, so I think you'll see us do more and more of that. Um, the resort hotels again like the resort markets have proved out really well and this was really like a tale of two worlds or three or four if you looked at extended stay versus group urban city center urban uh resort and then luxury and, and kind of the sun belt so you really looked at different segments and and how they they perform differently um so so we'll continue to grow as we did before like i said i think we have a little bit more now meat on the bones um and then and then one other thing that we've that we've added um, to what we're doing. And, and I know SH already has some 
I, I think there's sites on this as well, but is the residential. So for rent residential is something that actually has been added to a number of our existing pipeline hotels. Um, and we'll continue, I think, to see more of that given if we look across asset classes, um, multifamily is in, in a shortage. It's an area we think that we've, we've created a product for in the past and now is the right time to roll that out. And so we're seeing some branded um, rental product added to our pipeline. Awesome. Marissa? Um, so, so COVID, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm sure all of you guys experienced the same thing, right? We have city center hotels. It was, it was a challenging time. Um, you know, thankfully we're, we're long-term real estate owners. So we kind of took the time to take a step back, go back to our roots and rethink some of the things that we had been doing from a guest centric perspective. You know, it gave us the opportunity to revisit some of the, um, you know, some of our standards, um, you know, and reinvent them a little bit. So, you know, two examples, I think I can, I can think of are, you know, from an operational perspective, um, we went from having a really extravagant breakfast buffet every day to kind of bento boxes. Um, right now, our guests seem to really enjoy the bento boxes, right? They didn't want a breakfast buffet during COVID. Nobody, nobody wanted that. So I think it's, it's one of these things that we'll see, we'll see if it stays around. That's maybe one of these changes that people are going to really enjoy having a little bento box, um, you know, with a couple of buffet items that they can choose from and take it away rather than rummaging around on the breakfast buffet every day. So that's kind of one just operational change that, you know, we'll see, we'll see if it sticks around, but it's something that we did implement during COVID because of guest demands during COVID. Um, the second, similar to Allie, is technology um, and this whole contactless experience. Um, if you've ever stayed at one of our hotels, uh, we are very technology driven. The entire guest room is controlled with an iPad. You can turn on the lights, you can open and close the blinds. So absolutely everything is controlled with the iPad. Um, what we spent COVID doing was really perfecting and relaunching our app. So we have a fully contactless experience now. So you can walk into the hotel, check in on your phone, go right to your room, control absolutely everything in your room on your phone. You can turn on the lights, you can turn off the lights, you can set the, the alarm that then also turns on the lights, open and close the blinds. So, you know, so we, we again took this guest demand for a contactless experience. Um, and then we've been able to translate that into something um, you know, into a new amenity that I think guests really appreciate and is probably going to stay with us. Certainly, I think it's a, you know, faster adoption than we had seen and we had seen in the past. Awesome. Thanks for sharing both. Abhay, you want to finish this off? Yeah, sure. I think for us, what turned out to be the biggest, you know, uh, lesson and, and benefit by the end of it was figuring out how to keep those cells open. Um, and to the extent they were closed, you know, how soon um, being able to open them as soon as possible. And, and that helped us in a, in a couple of different ways. It was challenging, of course, to try to figure out, you know, how do you break even at a hotel when you're running, you know, 20 odd percent occupancy. Um, so a lot of it was trying to, to kind of um, rework how we how to operate in such a sort of stress test. Um, but we, you know, we were able to do that. and. and face a lot of those headwinds. And I think as things have now opened up, the benefit's just been that we've been so visible to guests who are looking to travel, right? So 
um, it, it, in terms of our booking pace, in terms of kind of where we're seeing ourselves perform against a lot of the competition, um, you know, we're seeing ourselves with, you know, have a, a significant sort of head start in a sense, you know, our ref bar index numbers are through the roof at the moment, just as other, other brands in some cases sort of still work through their strategies of reopening. And I think that's given us a chance to build a lot of loyalty with our guests, but also, uh, you know, a range of new clientele um, where we can kind of showcase what we do. And, you know, a lot of that also um, ties to just building trust with the customers, right? So a lot of the initiatives that we put in place immediately when things did lock down and making guests feel safe, whether it's showing the videos of exactly how, uh, you know, we're going about our COVID protocols to putting in some permanent measures uh, and being pretty transparent with it. So both, both things sort of coupled together has, has um, you know, helped us and we have a pretty positive outlook now. I mean, I think when things shut down last year, the industry consensus was that it would take till 2024, 25 for things to kind of hit 19 levels. I think at some point that kind of trimmed down at 23, 24. Um, and, you know, right now, again, I think, you know, staffing's a bit of a, you know, an issue and that it's something I think we're all still trying to get to terms with, but that aside, we're sort of hitting 2019 levels across, uh, you know, most of our hotels today. So I think, you know, next year is looking really strong um, and hopefully that continues. But one of the things Ali touched on as well, I think rate, rate integrity, um, you know, has been important, just kind of making sure we maintain where we're positioning ourselves. And that also ties into all the ancillary services, right? So making sure that the guests staying with you are also likely to spend, uh, you know, at the F&B outlets and the other amenities that you have. So um, those are some of the focus areas that we've, we've kind of had for the last few months. And, and if I may add something, Abe talked about the trust. Um, and I think all of us sitting here, you know, we have these lifestyle brands and you think about one of our competitors is also shadow inventory, right? Homes that, that are put on the market or apartments and things like that. Um, and I, I think it's interesting because while that segment, right, as we see that Airbnb IPO and, and why we see that that segment did very, very well during COVID, um, I, I think what's really important is to notice that people want that experience, but they also want a brand they can trust, right? And what I always said, like building that trust with their customer. Um, one of the things that we've had in the works for a while at Virgin um, that we were we rolled out in the in the UK and it's rolling out in the US is a group-wide loyalty program and points program called Virgin Red. So we identified that that our customer base is more more inclined now more than ever to stick with a brand they trust, right? They know it's clean, they know what they're gonna get, they they you know what to expect. Um, so they still want that that bridge, like what, what all of our hotels offer, all of us on this panel. But um but again, like maybe they're not ready to take the plunge and take the risk of an Airbnb. And so where we can really um, solve that need is by nature that they have all these different experiences and things they're opting into, reward them for that, but also um, give them something consistent and, and trustworthy. Yeah, no, that's really interesting insight. I, we, we weren't gonna touch upon the Airbnb uh, portion of, of this with their, with their IPO, um, but I think it is important to note, like, how it's affected your industry, um, how you're kind of uh, meeting those headwinds head on. But I think, as you just alluded to, it's all it's all around the trust. You you go to, I mean, even as a super host on an Airbnb, you hope that you're going to get a good experience. I think there's you're buying into a brand, you're buying into what uh, what these consumers know about you guys um, as a lifestyles company first and foremost. 
Um, I guess that brings us to our next, the next question that, that we kind of have as these headwinds have kind of been met with COVID and there, there's certainly some confident momentums around travel. How have you guys approached um, brand expansion or new markets? Uh, I know, Ali, you alluded to the Sunbelt. Um, I, I think there has been a race, certainly from our capital that we represent to get to the southeast of the Sunbelt. Not that this is new to you guys. You all have a footprint in these markets. But has there been a concerted effort to expand key count in specific markets, if any? I guess we could start with you, Ali. Um, sure. Yeah. So our, our market focus hasn't hasn't changed much over the last year. Um, we've always had the mindset, uh, we, we wanna build a virgin hotel where there's some cultural relevance, cultural significance and pulse that we can tap into. So Nashville is one of the first markets we identified in 2010 as a target. And I, I will say that was a hard sell back then um, as to why we were doing that. Coming from a, a REIT background where I did acquisitions, it was always like top seven MSAs and that was, that was it, right? Um, but but really, when you when you look at who's coming and what your customer wants, like they're going to Nashville, they're going to New Orleans, they're traveling to Napa, they're traveling to these markets where maybe maybe you do San Francisco and Napa, right? You you do um, New York City and some of the periphery markets, um, London and surrounding markets. I I think that it you know ties into the labor market as well. So, so while the customer you identify, you know, they're, they're traveling to these places that have some kind of cultural richness, right? Have some identity. Um, and so we find that there's demand there and the right sized hotel, obviously, like if I was doing uh, like our 1500 room Las Vegas hotel doesn't fit everywhere. Like that's specific to Las Vegas. Um, but, but I, so I think it depends what product you're you're building. Um, but I think it's just a market that has a, like a real richness and, and fabric that you can tap into and marry your brand with that, that local market. Um, the biggest thing when you think about expansion, like let's say New York Hamptons, for example, right, is, is the labor market. Um, so a lot of these, if you, if you don't have the big hotel that's getting the rate in the urban city center historically, or let's say South Beach for, you know, if you're not having that to then kind of share some expenses. Cause really at the end of the day, every single one of our hotels, while they can be fabulous experientially, they have to drive a profit, right? They have to be profitable or else we're not gonna be building very many of them um, successfully. So so we sometimes you do need to have those considerations of marrying um, some of your hotels near each other to you know share expenses. And especially now with the, the shift and kind of the employment base, which is, I think we're all figuring that out um, as it evolves, but, but that's become, I think, top of mind. If you're list three issues we're dealing with today, that, that would definitely be one of those that, that would be on the list. Certainly. Well, we're seeing job growth in a lot of the markets that we're looking for with you guys. So I wonder, um, you forecasted this, like you said, Nashville, probably choice parts of Texas since, uh, since 2010, 2011, 12. Um, and I'm sure you're going to do so moving forward. But, um, but Marissa, how has this kind of impacted you guys in terms of uh, AOR? Um, so it's, it's interesting that, that both of you guys kind of mentioned the, the Sunbelt, um, and employment growth and focus on that. We, um, unlike most hotel companies, we're real estate investors. We actually own and invest in our, um, in our real estate on behalf of our shareholders. So we look at our investments very much, um, with a real estate investor hat, um, 
And of course, A plus real estate is always A plus real estate. We're always looking for opportunities in primary markets and to cluster them, as Ali mentioned, so that you can have one chief engineer that covers two or three, right? We have two hotels in New York. We'd love to do more hotels in New York. We have, you know, one um, property under development, one nearly open in uh, in LA, for example, and you know, likewise, um, Seattle and San Francisco, Miami, we have multiple hotel clusters so that we can leverage our operating model in those cities. So that hasn't changed from a COVID perspective. I think A plus cities are still A plus cities and A plus real estate is still A plus real estate. Um, I think what has changed is, is certainly our focus on some of these secondary cities. Um, and what we look for as we look at real estate investing in those cities is um, number of startups, uh, relocation of tech companies, availability of talent, uh, investment in infrastructure. So those are the things that come first. And then, then you see the growth in those cities, right? I mean, that's really the reason why Austin is Austin and the reason why Nashville is Nashville. Um, you know, so, so I think, of course, those are the cities, but those are the things that we look at as we look at what's the next city is, you know, is this, is this a, um, a place that from an infrastructure perspective is supportive of business growth and of in-migration trends of, and of employment growth, and then therefore um, leisure and business travel trends. Um, so that's kind of what we've what we've been looking for from a, when it comes to the Sunbelt cities and some of these, you know, the newer markets that may might not have been on, um, you know, our first expansion list of the gateway uh, coastal gateway cities. But, you know, as we're continuing to grow, those are those are really the metrics that we look at to to figure out um, what the next next city is. Are there are there any. Um not to disclose your mm -hmm. secret sauce, but yeah. are there any of those uh, periphery little nooks uh, in the gateway cities that mm -hmm. kind of caught your eye? Um, outside, so in terms of outside of gateway cities or in, in gateway cities? Those that may have been on your tertiary. Yeah, secondary tertiary, something on the periphery mm -hmm. that wasn't always really where you guys thought you might end up, but you're just reading the trends and mm -hmm. something you really want to be. Um, so two cities that we really like right now, I've, Austin and Nashville, I think, are, are the obvious ones, right? Everyone wants to be in Austin, Austin and Nashville. Um, another city that I really like a lot is Denver, right? I mean, that is a city that has um, invested a tremendous amount in infrastructure. They expanded their light rail. They expanded the airport. Um, it's a city that has a great lifestyle, which is attractive to employees and then at the same time attractive to leisure travelers. Um, you know, you have a university nearby, so there's avail, you know, there's there's talent that you can draw from a talent pool. So that's that's a city that I think is um, is really interesting. Um, just for, you know, one example, um, you know, I think San Diego uh, is is another one of those. But I think, you know, th those are the types of cities that we're looking at. Yeah, we're hearing more and more cities like Boise, um, mm -hmm. Salt Lake City. I mean, yeah. not just in, in hospitality and hotels, but for industrial and multifamily, a lot of the capital that's looking to place money in those, those mm -hmm. high growth markets. Um, yeah. Abby, you want to you finish this off and, and talk a bit about your, your approach? Yeah, sure. Um, and similar in some ways. I think you know, Ali described it well in terms of sort of perhaps having a global, but at the same time, a very local outlook. Um, 
trying to find sites and also partners to work with who are really passionate about our brands and kind of, you know, how that integrates into their own vision for, for their projects. Um, and so, you know, we'll look at cities which, again, are, you know, our strategy has kind of remained pretty steady even through COVID in that, you know, we intentionally opened our first one hotels in New York, Miami, LA, and our first signings in Europe were in London and Paris to, you know, hit some of those key gateway cities up front. Um, and that helps us kind of build a base, an operating base that we can grow from. So, you know, we, in, from the next one to 12 months, we're opening one hotel in San Francisco, uh, in Toronto, Nashville, Hanalei um, Bay in Hawaii. Uh, you know, so that's, that's given us a, a platform that we're really leveraging now. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's the key gateway cities, there's sort of the emerging gateway cities as I think of them, you know, Toronto's and Melbourne's of the world, which, uh, you know, have a lot of that great infrastructure and, and quality of life. And, and I think will only continue to that, that sort of upward trends. Um, and yeah, I think um, for us, it varies a little bit by brand also, um, you know, with Baccarat, we are often looking at, you know, the best locations in a given city. Um, it's not a brand we're trying to get to, you know, 100 or 200 hotels, you know, we're, we're fairly selective, often mixed use projects and, you know, something Ali was referring to, you know, we do branded residential with Bacra, with one hotels also, um, but often, you know, that brand value is, is driving, you know, premiums to the residential piece, um, just something the developers look for. Um, and then with Treehouse, it's, it's a little bit more of a bandwidth in the sense that, you know, we could do two or three treehouses in a city like New York or, or London, uh, but we really want to be in some creative, you know, parts of the city, right? Like a Brooklyn in, in New York, um, you know, Loha in Denver, Marissa, um, you know, spots where you kind of become the hotel for that neighborhood and, and kind of can drive off that communal field. So it often just depends by brand, by location, but we try to, you know, get pretty specific with um, what the vision of the project ultimately is. Um, you know, with one hotels, we definitely like to have a natural element at the doorstep, whether it's a park or a river, et cetera, that we can again, kind of weave into the design. Yeah, well, that's, that's really interesting. I think, you know, all your guys' perspectives how you approach hospitality at large is really interesting. You know, I love all your brands. You guys are, are great people too. So I appreciate you guys talking about that and sharing your perspectives. Um, you know, we have our teams on the ground and our local partners uh, around the country sourcing deals and sourcing opportunities. We love talking about opportunities with you guys. And I'm sure we'll get one closed with you guys soon enough. Um, but I just wanted to, you know, thank you guys all um, and, and really take the last few minutes to kind of look forward, future forward, um, and, and talk about what you think hospitality, and Ali alluded to it a bit in the beginning, it kind of stole my thunder, I was going to surprise you guys with the space hospitality question, but, you know, not not so so far out there, but, uh, you know, how do you envision iterating on hospitality and keeping your customers actively engaged, and really how it integrates into our modern society, we'll leave a few minutes for that, why don't we start with the hey, and we'll, um, we'll go back around the circle again. There you go, Abba, you get to go first. <laughs> yeah, totally throwing me off now. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's exciting, right? Travel's coming back. Um, I think in many ways, it, it, the purpose of travel and kind of what it means to people always stays the same, right? It's exciting, it's sort of adventurous. Um, 
and 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 I think it's it's great to see that that continue. Um, I think, like I alluded to earlier, I, I think that it's it's coming back quicker and, and than we all expected. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of leisure travel at the moment, clearly, which is really what's kept us going. And it'll be interesting to see if some of that sort of papers or if that momentum again, you know, continues. Um, but we're also seeing corporate travel come back. We're seeing smaller group business come back. You know, one of the things we did and others may have as well was, you know, intentionally did our best not to cancel weddings, social events, etc. When COVID hit, so a lot of those bookings are kind of have been pushed out and. Um, you know, that business is still there. So, you know, that'll again, help us bridge the gap a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, th I think, you know, they're all po positive signs. I think to some extent, there may be, you know, some change in the, in the way people travel or the experiences that they seek. Um, and I think in many ways, you know, things go back to somewhat of, of what they used to be. But um, in a way, it's great, right? Change is good. I think it made everyone rethink things a little bit. And, um, but overall, I think that the industry is in a good place. Pass to uh, Mercy. You want to go ahead? Um, sure. Um, so I I agree with Abhe. From a COVID perspective, our hotels are you know seeing sold out nights. Are you know certainly in many in many of the cities where we have hotels. Um, I don't know the last time you guys uh, have flown. I was you know on an airplane on on Sunday. Um, flights are packed airports are packed, you know, it's not just speculation that travel is coming back. It's, you know, it's coming back. So I think, I think we can all comfortably say um, that the the COVID recovery is underway. Um, you know, so, so in, from that perspective, uh, you know, obviously the future is looking bright and I think we'll see, we'll see hotel performance recover far earlier than was previously anticipated. Um, in terms of trends and just the future of hospitality, generally speaking, um, I, I don't see that changing that much post COVID. I think a lot of the things, um, that we saw as trends are going to continue. Um, so one of the things was something, Andrew, we spoke about earlier, um, the idea of connecting with people and the idea of the third space and the use of the hotel in that way. Um, you know, so, Right now, it's just not enough for a hotel to be just a place for you to sleep that's clean. You know, you need, they need to be a place um, where people are connecting and have energized and activated public spaces that people can use in multiple different ways. They can go and work, have a drink, eat. Um, and I think this idea of kind of a town, an energized, activated, multifaceted kind of town square center and using the public space in a hotel in that way and allowing people to connect with other people um, is, is really what the future of hospitality is. And that's, that's I think, going to fundamentally be the differentiator um, is who can do that and how do you create a space that feels um, active, special, and allows you to feel connected um, with the city and with other travelers. Awesome. Allie? Yeah, no, I, I echo what Marissa said. I mean, travel's back, right? I mean, it's people are, are group, there's a natural kind of cadence to when things are booked and how long it takes to get there. But but I think it's back. I think the urban city centers, like it, it just depends. Like it really just depends. But I think for the space that we're in, lifestyle, it's 
it's definitely coming back. And I agree with Marissa, it's going to come back faster. It is coming back faster than anyone, anyone predicted. Um, you know, for our, for our future, you know, historically, we've, we've probably invested just under about a hundred million in real estate um, to grow Virgin Hotels. And I, I think in the future, I, I think we'll continue to selectively invest in, in deals. I also think, you know, we'll do more conversions. Um, what all of us here on this panel have new, fresh, well-designed product. But if you think about the landscape of hospitality, there's a lot of product out there that just is in a way functionally obsolete, right? It does not make sense for the consumer that we're talking about today, which is the growing consumer base. And so I think you'll see, um, I, Marissa made it a little different because you do the, you know, your, your rooms and your product is so, so specific, but you guys have, you know, found a really good way to get there, right? With, 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 um, modular and whatnot, but, but I, I think you'll see more conversions from our end. Um, still some ground up, but selectively, um, I think we want to do what we can to kind of repurpose product that's already in the market that needs a fresh take on it. So, so we'll do that. We've also retooled, um, some operational, you know, perspectives and what we're, what we're pushing. We brought in a new CEO, um, in February of this year who has a an operational background uh, with montage uh, and pendry. So kind of this luxury lifestyle space. So I think from a Virgin perspective, we'll be more in that luxury lifestyle positioning. Um, more like, you know, one hotels, I'd say we're, we're side by side uh, for sure. Um, and, and then at the end of the day, I mean, really what we're all doing is, is creating a platform to connect people, right? And I always looked at our hotels as kind of a stage, right? We build it, we design it, we've created the stage, and now it's about the employees and the people that come that create the scenes. And um, and so I, I think we'll see we'll see more of this this heightened focus on is this a great place for people to connect? Is this have we figured out all the different pain points and all the touch points or lack thereof, I guess, touch points for the consumer to have a seamless, enjoyable, relaxing journey. I think it's been a really stressful year for everyone and to find, um, to be able to re-engage, but in like a very relaxed, comfortable way is I, I believe the new norm and in, in, in the new need. Yeah, I, I love that you said that because it, it really resonates with Mike and I and I know I can speak for us together. We often have similar thoughts and you know we're building more than just a company, more than just a brokerage, more than just a capital advisory firm, we're building a culture and a community um, around commercial real estate, right? Um, and, and that goes to one of my old my old mentors, but he wasn't a mentor. I never met him. Steve Jobs. I, so when I worked for Apple, you know, he built Apple around not building products for people, but really understanding the people and what they needed, and then reverse engineering it. And and that's kind of what we're doing. And, and it seems like you guys are doing in a similar fashion around hospitality. Um, and I'd love to, you know, just leave a few minutes for open dialogue if you guys want to say anything else. But, you know, I know I'm, I'm very grateful. And I know Mike is too for you guys joining us today. And um, we'll see Abbe tomorrow for dinner, I think. Right, Abbe? And uh, we'll, we'd love to, you know, continue talking to your brands and hopefully get, uh, you know, some deals across the finish line. Also, as we start to spin up, you know, more content series and stuff like this, hopefully we can get outside of the camera and outside of the, the cubicles and, and we'll start to do some more conference and in-person stuff together. And we'd we'll love to welcome you guys back for that. Yeah. I'll also add that. I'd love to also add, I mean, we're, we're talking about the futures of your brands. I think your brands respectively have great stewards of, of what the future holds with you guys holding new positions that you do. 
And from our side of the table, commercial real estate kind of placing debt and equity throughout the capital stack isn't always the most interesting of things. Um, so we definitely do appreciate the human element and the human touch that you guys bring to your firms. You make our jobs fun. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you guys. You. Thank you guys. Thanks guys so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye everyone. Bye.